in honor and glory and there's still an inheritance for you, amen? Before I read Pastor's text this morning, Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse two, I just can't get away from this. If you're in this room today and you have bulging discs in your back, would you just slip your hand up this morning? Anyone have bulging discs in their back? Just stay where you are, Holy Spirit. Bulging discs. I pray this morning that your holy hand would work and operate, restore and repair in the name of Jesus. If you did not other thing, we would praise you, but today you love your children and you want to work. And I pray God healing begin right now in this moment and then the days to come. I pray for health in these backs of these people who have been suffering. You suffer on the cross to afford us healing and we proclaim it in this room and over these people today in the name of Jesus. Let it be done and let it be so in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Song of Solomon 1 and 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Lord, we honor your name. We make much of you today. In Jesus' name, we lift your name, O oh God. I just pray you would be with us this morning. We know you're already here. We just continue to welcome your manifest presence in this place. Speak to us, O oh Holy Spirit. Your love is better than life. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see everybody here this morning. You may be seated. We're going to get right into the word of the Lord, kind of an unusual text, but we'll be just talking about it a little bit throughout this sermon. Um, Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 2 is our text. And um, as we get into this text, I want you to know this morning I'm going to be starting a mini-series on the book of Song of Solomon, and I call it The Quest for Presence. That's the title of the series, The Quest for Presence. And this will be our theme for the next several weeks and maybe even the next several, maybe a month or two. But I've preached out of the book, uh, this book many, many times in the past 37 years, and I've even preached a series out of the Song of Solomon back in 2007. And even though you will hear some of the same content, some of the same thoughts, some of the same language, because the Bible's the Bible, you can't change what it means, uh, but there will be a fresh frame of word because the Lord's taking us in different directions. I'll be saying some of the things I said several years ago, but the Lord would not allow me to get past this. He just kept taking me back to the Song of Solomon for us here at the church. God is speaking to us about presence, and last week we talked about fostering the presence of God. And if there's one thing that I do know as a pastor, and that is that God wants to manifest his presence and his glory here to us here at the palace. You know what kind of of a privilege that is, is to be a people that God wants to come down and inhabit and that God wants to come down and bless. God wants this place to be a holy inhabitation of his spirit. He wants to dwell here with his people at the palace of praise. And God wants to show himself strong on our behalf and he desires to make this place a place of manifestation. And when we say a place of manifestation, what does that look like? What does that mean? This means that he wants to show up and he wants to do his workings and his mighty acts among us on a regular basis. I want you to know if there's one thing that God wants to do is he wants to come down and he wants to work among his people. He wants the gifts of the spirit in operation. He wants signs. He wants wonders. He wants to do things among us that's supernatural. That's the will of God. As a matter of fact, God wants people to be able to come in here and connect with him. God wants to commune with you. Did you know one of the reasons that he made man is because he wanted somebody that he could commune with 
with and come down and talk with and to share with. That's God's desire is to come down and to meet with his people. The Song of Solomon is about passion. Everything about it is about passion. It is about the love of Solomon for this maiden and, of course, the maiden for him. And just as a marriage is a reflection of a relationship with God and that of Christ with the church, as a matter of fact, we all know that the Bible uses biblical terminology in Scripture describing us as believers as what? The bride of Christ. So we also see this same application used in the Song of Solomon between Solomon, which is the beloved, and that represents Christ, and the maiden who represents the church. So the principles in the Song of Solomon provide an insight into our, how our relationship is to be with Jesus Christ himself. We see this metaphor reveals that we are to have a passionate relationship like that of a marriage with our Lord. We are to have a passionate faith. How many believe we are to have a passionate faith, a lively faith, a fiery faith? Just as the Shudamite maiden was passionately in love with her beloved, we are to be in love with Christ as the church. We are to love Christ with our whole heart, our whole soul, our mind, our strength. Look at Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 2 one more time. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. First of all, there are very there are several key words in this passage of Scripture, and you have to look at it in its original text. We see passion in this verse of Scripture. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when you first fell in love? Do you remember the passion of your heart when you first fell in love with your husband or your wife? Love here in the context of this Scripture was likened to wine to an intoxicated state. Wine makes one feel dizzy or lightheaded and woozy and uninhibited, or at least they tell me that. I don't know. I've never been drunk on wine in my life. But it sweeps one off of their feet. It makes one feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's like a fire burning inside. Someone said one time that marriage begins with a king kissing an angel and ends up with a bald-headed man sitting in a room with an old fat lady. Another woman said, as my husband began to get older, I thought kissing the old frog would turn him into a prince, but all I got was warts. Another woman said, my husband's always griping about how much money that I spend, but the only way that I can get his attention is to buy airtime during Monday night football. One woman, one husband said, I want to be buried at Walmart. At least then I'll know for sure that my wife will visit my grave. And we begin our journey together with passion, like Johnny Cash's old song that Mike mentioned, I think Wednesday night, married in a fever hotter than a pepper sprout. But if we're not careful, our theme song becomes married to a couch and just chilling out. Somewhere along the way, we begin to take one another for granted and we cool off in our relationship. And if all of you will be honest, in your marriage you've had those moments when you were hot and you were passionate and you were madly in love and, and then all of a sudden your relationship can get in a rut and it can cool off and you begin to take one another for granted. And I'm, so, I'm sorry to say, all too often I think that is the way our relationship with Christ is as well. I think our relationship with Christ can cool off. I think we can lose our fervency. I think we can lose our, our, our fever for the Lord. And you know, somewhere along the way, we have a tendency to want to cool off or draw back or hesitate. And, and you know, a lot of times in marriages, the, the, the man will say the hottie become a naughty. All she wants to do is sit around and gripe and, 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 and just carry on. And then the, the woman will say, well, the hunk become a skunk. That man does nothing but stink. And that's the way it is sometimes in relationships. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, those in 
Jerusalem supposed that the 120 were drunk. But it was Peter that stood up with the 11 and said in Acts chapter 2, verse 15 through 18, he says, first of all, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only the third hour of the day. He said, they have only, this is only 9 a.m. in the morning, and these guys have not even had time to get drunk as of yet. But this is that. He said, I want you to know what you're seeing. I want you to understand what's manifested before you. He said, this is that which the prophet Joe spoke about, that in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men's going to see visions. Your old men's going to dream dreams. And upon my handmaidens and upon my servants, I will pour out my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, Peter, in these passages of Scripture, he does not deny a sense of intoxication, but he quickly declares the condition of this 120 was due to not what they had been drinking, but it was contributed to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon them on the day of Pentecost. So we see early in the history of the New Testament church that the theme of spiritual presence and intoxication come together. Intimacy with God, folks, will produce what I call spiritual intoxication. Paul combines this theme with his writing to the book of Ephesians to those at Ephesus when he said in Ephesians 5 and 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. He said, don't get out and get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He likened being filled with the Spirit to intoxication, which means coming under the influence of another. It means to be controlled by another. You know, when one gets intoxicated, you can notice it because it changes the way they talk. It changes the way they walk. It changes the, their acts and their behavior. And let me tell you, new wine in the New Testament in the, in the New Testament was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It was symbolic of the joy of the Holy Ghost. And you know what God wants? God wants us to have such intimacy with him that there is visible evidence that we've been under his influence, that we've been in his presence, and that we're under the spell of God. In Acts chapter 2, there was some kind of an outward, visible manifestation and evidence that made these people think that those who come out of the upper room were drunk. The people of Jerusalem looked up there and seen something and said, man, these people's been out drinking. They've been out partying. Our lives and these services that we have at the palace must bear the evidence of spiritual presence. Are you listening to me? We can't just come in here and have have uh, 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 services as usual. We're Pentecostal. We got a name over our door. And we've got to live up to the name in which we say, can I have an amen? We must be on a quest for presence and it must be our goal. It must be our aim. It must be our desire. It must be the reason for our existence. We've got to come together like they did on the day of Pentecost here at the church and be in one mind, in one accord, in one place for one purpose, and that is the presence of God. God, we got to have you. God, we want you. God, we desire you. God, we just reach out to you. God, we worship you. God, we praise you. We got to have the presence of God. Our motives, our actions, our desire, our want, everything within us are to ache for the presence of God. I want the presence of God. I don't know about you. I'm on a quest here today. Can I have a We have 
have to be spiritual. Folks, the church has to be spiritual. Can I have an amen? It was Paul that said in Romans 8 and 6, I'm about to preach. He said, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Everybody wants to be have life and peace, but you can't have it outside of your spirituality because life and peace comes by being spiritual. He said, the carnal mind is an enmity. It's at war against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. He said, if you're carnal, you can't even submit to the word of God. He said, those that are after the flesh, they cannot please God. And I want to tell you, folks, you and I have to become spiritual people. And to become spiritual people means that we got to get in the spirit. We've got to have the presence of God. Would you just reach out right now and grab for him? Would you just reach out now and say, oh, God, give us your presence. Would you pray that prayer with me? God, give us your presence. Oh, Lord, help us here today. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Did you know that there is absolutely nothing? Say nothing. There's absolutely nothing that can take the, pre- the place of the presence of God in the church. Can I have an amen? Nothing is more important because it's not by power or by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Raw talent alone will not suffice. Charisma, charm, and appeal is not enough. Human ability, human strength, human manufacturing by the arm of flesh will not and cannot make it happen. There are so many churches that are void of the presence of God. Come on. There's so many churches where people are connecting with people. They're forming relationships and friendships. They have a place to serve and minister. They're the kind of people that do all the right things. You know, they'll take care of the neighbor. They take care of one another. They laugh. They party together. They do all of that. They find and develop a sense of community. But there's something that is actually missing in America. It is that they have community without conformity. They're void of presence and they connect in the flesh, but not in the spirit. They're out to please men and themselves more than pleasing God. They seek what best fits them, but not what's best for them, and there's a big difference. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people I just want to fit in. I want to find a place where I want to fit in. I want to tell you, I don't want to find a place where I just fit in. I want to find a place that's best for me and my family. Come on, somebody, which can be very challenging at times. Sometimes when you come under the heavy load of the Spirit, it's not always a comfortable place to be in because God contends with you and God begins to convict you and God begins to challenge you. And if you're not careful, you'll run from the challenge and the conviction and you'll run to a place of ease where you can fit in and feel. And instead of having conformity and transformation in the Spirit, you'll just go your own way, fulfilling the desire of your own flesh. There's a big difference in what you appeal to and conform to than what God transforms you into being. Can I have an amen? These people have a form of godliness if they're not careful, but they deny the power thereof. And Paul said, from such turn away. They connect with one another, but they never connect with God. They become a good social club that meets the needs of the flesh, and they meet the needs of social aspect of man alone, which is important. But the problem is their spiritual man is starving. Come on now. It's good that we get along. It's good that we're a family. But more importantly than that, it's good that we have a relationship with the presence of God. 
God has set out to change and to control every aspect of our lives as we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is why the Galatians 5 and 16 says, For this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of your flesh. The only way to not to fulfill the lust of flesh is you have to get in his presence. The quest for his presence must be our ulterior motive and our passion. It must be the center focus of the church. The word, the word quest means to long or to search for something. I like another definition that Webster said. It says, a long search for something as in an expedition. It's a journey undertaken by a group of people with a particular purpose, especially that of exploring. And when I read that definition, I thought, this is exactly what the church is to be doing. We are to be searching, we are to be looking, we are to be longing, we are to be exploring for the presence of God. And when I looked up the word exploring, it meant to learn about, to familiarize oneself with, to examine to evaluate, to go after with all your heart. And if there's one thing I know is that we need to go after the presence of God with all of our heart. We need to try to familiarize ourselves with, I want to come to know you. I don't want to just feel you. I don't want to just be blessed by you. Oh, but I want you to become the lover of my soul. I want to crawl in the place of intimacy with you and come to know you. Like our forefathers in the church of God did. They sat out on a journey to seek more of the presence of God in 1886. They knew that they wanted something more and they didn't know even what it was. They didn't even understand it. And for 10 solid years, these little, this little small group of men sought his presence until the Holy Spirit fell on them in 1896 and an awakening began. And as a result of that awakening, a handful of men came together for 10 solid years. They wondered. They come from the Baptist background, the Methodist background, and they said there's got to be more than what we're and they got together weekly and, and sometimes daily and they sought the presence of God. They read the scripture together. They come to Acts chapter 2 and they read about Pentecost. They said, why don't we see these things in the church? And they kept seeking and they kept seeking. They'd done that for 10 solid years and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost fell upon them and there became a great awakening in the land. And as a result of that one move right now, the church of God is eight and a half million, almost nine million strong. They're in 164, 184 countries of the world and not counting the millions that's went by the grave over just a handful of people wanting the presence of God. A whole awakening came that touched the whole world. It can happen again. Say it can happen again. Look at somebody and say it can happen again. Our goal isn't to be a, a feel-good church where we can get comfortable, feel connected, and form a strong social life where we feel good about ourselves, but it's to be a church that is drunk under the influence of the Holy Ghost. We are here to connect with the presence of God. That's our reason of being here. And we become under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This is why the little maiden said, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know what she said? We don't want your rubies anymore, Solomon. We don't want your, your perfume. We don't want your pearls. We don't want your diamonds. We don't want your gold. We don't want your silver. We don't want the, the latest clothing and all these things, this luxurious stuff that you throw in. A We're tired of all your trinkets. 
trinkets. We're tired of all your gifts. I know that there's been times when me and my wife's relationships got a little bit cold. And you know what I do? I go out and get a dozen roses and take them to her. And it was might as well have thrown my money away. Those roses didn't mean nothing to her. Because she knew somehow I was trying to somehow, uh, you know, make up for that relationship being cold. I want to tell you, though, when you got a hot relationship and you send roses, it means a lot more. Can I have an amen? And these women were sitting there. This woman, this ma- this Shunammite was saying, ah, I don't want your wine. I don't want your thrills. I don't want the blessing. I want the intimacy. I want the kisses of your mouth. We as a church must long for intimacy with God. Can I have an amen? An intimate touch of the presence of God. I'm on an expedition. Are you going to be with me here today? I'm searching. I'm longing. I'm looking. I'm asking. I'm beseeching like that of Moses when he said, Lord, show us your glory. Oh, Lord, show us your glory. The presence of God will bring us breakthroughs and cause us to become fruitful. In the Old Testament, Hannah, which was a godly woman who was barren, and she, she desperately desired children. You got to realize to not give your husband children in the Old Testament was considered to be a cursed woman. Being mocked by her adversary and provoked and being tormented due to her barrenness by even someone in her own home. It was uh, her husband's other wife, Peniel. She come by every day prancing her children by Hannah. Hi, Hannah. You can't have children. Look what I got. Just provoked her. Just done everything in the world to tantalize her, mock her, and make her feel less than important. She lived, Hannah lived in ridicule. She dwelt in torment, and she lived in the misery of shame, defeat, and lack every single day of her life. She finally gets enough, and she doesn't go to war with Peniel. But she has enough, and with holy ambition and a fiery passion, she, with a sense of urgency, began an expedition. She could could either sit there and live in the torment her whole life, or she could do something about it. And though godly, yet barren. Is that even possible? Did you hear that? That, that, That's an oxymoron to me. Godly, but barren. How can you be godly, but barren? And yet that is the case that Hannah was in. There are many that are godly, but they're barren, unsatisfied, living beneath divine privilege. Hannah seen that her barrenness was something important that required swift action upon her part. She didn't just sit around waiting for God to show up. She didn't just sit around for God to come down or fall out of the sky upon her. She began a hot pursuit and started an expedition to find the presence of God and the favor of God for herself. How many of us sense an urgency in these last days to find in his presence, and how many of us really see the importance for the need of the presence of God in our lives? As we said last week, so many of us are so comfortable. We think we got it all together. We've been serving the Lord for 30, 40 years, some of us, and we think, oh, we've, we've got our act together. But I want to tell you, there's always room for improvement. There's always room for more, and if we're not careful, we become cooled off, and we don't even realize it. But I want to tell you, I've not tapped into everything that God's got for me. I've not received all the benefits he wants to give out to me. I've not come under the the power that he wants me to come under. I still have a desire to say, God, there's an unfinished work in Kim Miller's heart and I will not be satisfied until you fill me with your spirit over and over and over and over again. I want more. I'm going crazy. I want more. 
Can I have an amen? <laughs> I remember when I first met Jenny. My dad, when he wanted to mock me or tease me, he'd go, Tee-hee. I don't know what that meant, but tick me off. And Jenny wasn't the type of girl that I was used to. I was always used to girls calling me and chasing me and that kind of thing. And I put charm out and no call. I'd walk around, Dad, what's wrong here? Well, that little good rich girl ain't called you yet, right? Man, it'd keep me up at night. I don't think she likes me. And I just start putting the charm on when I get around her or whatever. And we play ball. And me and her, I finally, it was, we had two different teams there. And she's on a different team than I was on. And we'd change gloves. And I'd think, I, I, I can't let no one switch gloves with Jenny. That, that's my connection. So as soon as it's time for them to come in from the outfield and us to go out, I'd run out there and I'd give her my glove. I go home and uh, just man, that girl, she's dry. I'd you know I'd call her and she'd talk to me a little bit and I get back in there. Dad come in and say, "She calling you yet?" Nope. Tee-hee, tee-hee. That drove me crazy. And all it done is it, it put a longing in my heart. I gotta have that woman, and I pursued her. Come on, somebody. I went after her. She wasn't going to come and just fall in my lap. I had to go after her. And I want to tell you, God is a God that wants to see a desire from his bride. He wants to see the bride rise up and say, hey, I want the kisses of your mouth. I want your romance. Come on, somebody. God's waiting for us to initiate. Our, he done initiated what he's supposed to do. He went to the cross. He died. He shed his blood. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'm going to draw him into me. And he did, and he saved us. But now, he said, draw unto me, and I will draw nine to you. He's waiting for the church to respond and to go for Forward and seeking him. Oh, hallelujah. She began a hot hand to begin a hot pursuit and started an expedition to find the presence of God for herself. Hannah, who was driven by a sense of desire, she went to the temple to seek God, to pour out her heart to God. Somehow her pursuit of God turned into a visitation. <laughs> a visitation of his presence. Proverbs 8 and 17 says, I love those that love me, and those who diligently seek after me, they'll find me. Did you hear that? I love what Psalms 145, 18 and 19 says. The Lord is nigh, say nigh. That means he's close, he's near. Unto them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. And he will fulfill their desire, the desire of them that fear him, and he also will hear their cry and he will save them. That's the promise of the scripture. Driven by her hot, boiling, passionate, fervent desire, she went into the temple to pursue God's presence. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. They're the one that's going to develop that hot, boiling prayer. And somehow in her pursuit of God, 
She lost touch to the world that she lived in, and she entered into another realm. She entered into another dimension. And this is the kind of experience that you and I need. We need to lose touch to the things around us, and we see, need to see the possibilities of the things that can happen through the supernatural. Until we lose sight of all the negative things that's around us, we will never be able to believe or lay hold of the things of the Spirit that brings life, liberty, freedom, and faith in our lives. It's only in his presence that all fear vanquishes, all torments disappear, all bondage gives away to victory. In his presence, Hills melt like wax. Mountains are cast into the sea. Mountains of difficulties are made as a plain. Families are reconciled. Marriages are healed. Broken hearts are mended. And we could go on and on. It's by his presence. I love that in Zechariah 4 and 7 where he says, Who art thou, great mountain that stands before Rezubable, the man of God? Who are you to mock him, to ridicule him, to stand and oppose him, to stand and try to hinder him? Who are you, O mountain? He said, Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace, grace. And he said, In other words, Zerubbabel is going to take the headstone off of that mountain and declare victory over it. It will not stop or rob him from being what he's supposed to be. And I want to tell you, it's the presence of God that will make you have the ability to become everything that you're supposed to be because it's in his presence that we have fullness of joy in life. Hannah went in desperate, but she ended up drunk. Think about it. They always say, well, trouble will lead, drive you to drinking. Have you ever heard of that? I had a friend, and every time he had trouble, man, he'd go out and get plastered. Well, instead of turning to the worldly methods and drinking to the worldly wine, then turn and drink of the spiritual wine, the new wine, the wine of the Holy Ghost like that of Hannah. Jesus said, if you'll ask of me, I'll give you living water to where you'll never thirst again. He said, then out of your belly shall flow rivers of living waters, but this spanky of the Holy Spirit. Hannah become intoxicated in the Spirit. How do we know that? Because Eli, the high priest, saw her and marked her as drunk. There was visible evidence upon her. There was an open manifestation like that on the day of Pentecost that gave her the appearance that was like what was on the 120, that she had been drinking, that she had become drunk. I don't know all of the manifestations there. I don't know, but when Eli looked out, he thought, I have a drunk woman in the temple here today. She had what I call the holy staggers. Her walk was a little bit crazy, possibly. She probably didn't have her equilibrium just right. She walked like Jacob of old, who was touched by an angel. She walked maybe with a limp. I don't know. She had what I call the holy mumbles. Have you ever been around an old mumbling drunk? I want to tell you, Isaiah called them in Isaiah 28 and 11. He called them with stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak unto this people. She had what I call the holy slobbers running out of the side of her mouth. Jesus called them the wellspring of life coming up out of your most inner being. She had what I call the drunk moans. Haven't you ever had, heard a drunk moan when he's drunk? The Bible calls it the holy intercessory of the Lord. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth thy infirmities for when we know not what we are to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself maketh intercessory for the saints according to the will of God with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered. In other words, there's times you get under the heavy load, you don't even know how to pray. You don't have the words to pray. The vocabulary isn't there. You don't know how to articulate it. But somehow the Holy Spirit comes down and he begins to form something inside of you that's greater than who you are. And the intercessor, the Holy 
Ghost takes over. And with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered, he prays the will of God for you that you might have the petitions that you desire of him. Can I have an amen? She had what I call the drunk laughs. Have you ever heard anybody drag, uh, laugh while they're drunk? Some crying, some laughing. They can be very annoying. But the Bible in Pentecost calls it laughing in the spirit. Job talks about it in Job 8 21. He said, we'll praise him till he fills our mouth with laughter. Amen. Matter of fact, Psalms 126, verse 1 and 2 says, When the Lord turned again the captive of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Then was our mouths filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things among us. In other words, he said right in front of the heathen that had us in captivity, God broke the bondage and we were able to laugh. And singing was in our heart to testify the goodness of God. Can I have an amen? Doug Small. He wrote a story one time that I finally found it. It was about his childhood experience when he was staying at his grandmother's house. He said his grandmother used to provide child care for him and his sister. Evidently, while his parents had worked, he didn't say that, but evidently they worked, and she babysitted them. He said, Grandma, at the same time, every day would take us to a bedroom, place me on one bed, my sister on another bed in the same room, and then would tell us it was nap time. But he said something happened during those nap times that kept my sister and me from falling asleep. He said, Grandma would go over to a bathroom adjacent to the bedroom. She closed the door behind her, and then she'd lock it. He said, I can still hear that click, the click of that lock to this very day in my ear. He said, she did not enter that bathroom for the usual reasons. He said, that bathroom became a most holy place for his grandma. He said the click of that lock was not to lock someone out, us kids out, but it was to lock herself into the presence of God. He said in a matter of moments, what came pouring out of that room were sounds that were indescribable and undiscernible in the terms of the rational meaning. He said those moments seemed like a, a, a suspended eternity. He said, as, I, as a child, I could not intellectually decipher the meaning of that moment, but even then, he said, as a child, I had a distinct sense that something was happening that was bigger and greater than what I could even have the capacity to grasp. He said, something supernatural was taking place behind that door. He said, my sister and I, we just sit quietly in the bed, and he said, neither one of us could move because of the presence of God. Now that Doug's a preacher, he's much older now, up in his 70s. I guess. He's a student of the word. He said, I now look at that moment back in time. And I think about it, how that my grandmother knew what it was like to go behind the veil into the holies of holies like that of the high priest. But instead of it being a holies of holies, it was just nothing more than a bathroom, but the veil had been rent and you can find God anywhere you want. And he said, there was a presence that reached out of that room that invaded that whole house. He said, that presence marked my life and touched me in ways that I, that I I will never, that will never allow me to be the same ever again. He said it was in that room that my grandmother went into another realm, into another dimension. He said she came out with her countenance and her face shining. He said her cheeks were wet with tears. Her eyes were still moist and red. He said groaning sounds were still coming out of her from deep within inside. Moans and groans and quivers and shakes was upon her body. He said my grandma had been in the king's chamber and he said me and my sister 
sister just had the privilege to be outside of the door and listen to what all took place. He said, my grandmother came out with fervent joy and she worshiped and she shouted and she danced and she cried and there was fire in her soul and she exhibited a radiant life and joy unspeakable and full of glory. The sounds that came from that room, he said, were frightening and it sounded like someone dying sometimes behind that door and yet there was a feeling in the air that created an anticipation that something great was happening. There was an overwhelming feeling of peace and comfort and yet eeriness at the very same time. There was just something mysterious and strange happening that made it frightening and yet it was inspiring and, and, and desirous at the very same moment. It wasn't something that you wanted to run from but it was something that captivated you and you wanted to run to it. It was something that drawed you. Do you know how many Christians have never experienced or even heard anything like this before? There is two whole generations in America that has never felt or experienced or even seen or even heard this kind of a manifestation of the presence of God. They don't even know that it exists. And if it did happen, they would think it would be weird and strange and run from it. I've seen it and I've experienced it multiple times. And I'm here to tell you, it forever changed my mind and my heart, my soul. I got to have more. I got to have more. I want it. I desire it. This is what brings breakthroughs. It's what produces fruitfulness. Though Hannah was barren, yet when she was rebuked by Eli the high priest for being drunk, she said, I've drunk no wine. All I've done is poured out my soul into the Lord. She said, Eli, that which you have seen, it's not been of an earthly intoxication, but it's been a spiritual intoxication. She said, I've been caught up in the presence of God. She got down and she was so much in anguish. Have you ever heard of holy rollers? How many have heard that tone? Now let me ask you another question. Do you even know what it means? How many have heard the term holy rollers? Now how many have seen that happen? About half that raised their hands. You know what's happened years ago? People get under the influence and hit the ground and they roll. Row and moan and groan and carry on. People would think they're crazy. I remember as a teenage boy falling under the spirit of God at my home church, and I don't know what it was. Something overtaken me and wanted to sanctify me, and I rolled, and I cried, and I shook, and I shaked. I flopped like a fish. Come on, somebody. I was all over that floor. My wallet was in the floor. The change was in the floor. Everything in my pockets come out. God knows how to clean you out. Come on, somebody. And I, I rode around. And I, I, you know, I, I, I'm just a fortunate guy because by the time I come around, it was getting lesser and lesser. But in the old days, that was a common thing. They'd done it on sawdust floors. Come on, somebody. They'd done it out under old tents. They'd done it. Uh, that happened under old, uh, old uh, what they call the tent meetings. And, and, and uh, I'm trying to think of what that's called. 
Yes, amen. And th- th- them things happen all the time. They were the displays and the manifestation of God's power coming down on a people and touching them. And it was a visible sign to the unbeliever that God was real and that God could change. Drunks would come and fall into the power. And when they got up, they weren't drunk no more. Can I tell you? God's an awesome God. He wants to do great things among us. Hallelujah. This is what brings breakthroughs. It's what produces fruitfulness. Though Hannah was barren, yet she was, and yet was rebuked by Eli the high priest for being drunk. She said, Eli, it wasn't the wine. She said, I've been caught up in the presence of God. Eli recognized his mistake. And then him as a high priest declared that her desire would be granted to her. And due to her spiritual intoxication with God's presence, God transformed her barrenness, opened up her womb, and she brought forth a booming baby boy nine months later. His name was Samuel. He was the prophet of God. Out of a barren woman, a prophet came because she had the dareness to get drunk in the spirit. Now we have a choice today. We can either be a Hannah of old, or we can be a Micah, some call him Micaiah, all kinds of people call her different names, but she was the daughter of King Saul, and she was the wife that married King David. And when she seen David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the city, which represented the presence of God, that got misplaced. Come on, it had gotten stolen. The Ark of the Covenant got stolen to hold the presence of God. And he was bringing it back because it got misplaced. That meant that the children of Israel took it for granted. They cooled down in the relationship. They lost the presence of God. How many of us has lost the presence of God and we know it not? Samson said, I will go out and shake myself like that before. And it says, he went out and shook himself and nothing happened. The anointing didn't come upon him. And he said, but he knew not that the presence of God had left him. Oh, God, help us. It doesn't matter that we can come up here and do our shaking and our preaching and our singing and our teaching or whatever. If the presence of God is not with us, we're nothing more than a tinkling brass and a sounding cymbal that has no meaning or distinction to it. Can I have an amen? But Micah was the daughter of King Saul, and she was married to David. And when they were bringing back that ark, he, here come David dancing before it in the streets, worshiping, I mean, making a show publicly. And the Bible says he danced out of his kingly garments, making him look like just nothing more than a commoner. David was no longer robed in ornate kingly garments. And can I tell you, when we get before the presence of God, We're all on equal ground. There's no big eyes and little U's. There's no kings and commoners, no presidents and peasants, no bosses, no servants. When we get there, we're all together. God wants to do just as much for one as he does the other. And if we are to get in the presence, we have to have a heart of humility, a heart of brokenness, a broken spirit God will not despise, but a haughty spirit he will despise. Micah despises David and mocks him because that was the king and he's no longer looking like a king. He's looking like a crazy commoner dancing and showcasing something out in front of the ark. Can you imagine that? He's just out to this king just to get in with it, dancing under the power of the Holy Spirit. And his wife sitting on the balcony looks out and says, what's he and despises him in her heart. Here she is living with the king, living in the palace and yet despising presence. Do you know how many churches that represents? All over America, people are going through the motions. 
They're faithful to the systems. They support their traditions. They go through the motions, but they're void of presence. Void of presence. Micah was like Hannah, but didn't know it. Due to her despising David's worship and despising God's presence upon that ark, and she was void of reverence. She didn't reverence the presence of God. The Bible says she became barren. Here we have two women, one barren and made fruitful. The other one was fruitful and became barren. The difference was presence. We had a godly woman barren who became fruitful, and we had a wife of a king that was fruitful that became barren. One turned to presence, the other rejected presence. And let me ask you a question. Which one are we going to be today? Are we going to be a Hannah or are we going to be a Micah? We look over and see someone really getting with us. Well, that's good for them. But, and, and there's a, almost a, a, a despising of it. It's almost, God don't, you don't have to pattern your worship after anybody or do anything. But when the presence of God's there, you've got to humble and yield to the presence of God. And let God intoxicate you with a glorious, overwhelming transformation that will forever mark your life and change you. Would you stand with me this morning? Guys, I'm doing good. I'm getting you out early. Now I got 30 minutes in my closure. Hang with me. We're living in a day that if something don't change, 30 years from now, 20 years from now, maybe even 20, Pentecost will be non-existing. If something don't change, now I know that's impossible because there'll always be a remnant. But the things I've experienced in my life, I wouldn't take nothing for. Those moments with those overwhelming presence of God, it's just something that you can't even put words to or describe it. One of my favorite vacations is to go out west into the Rocky Mountains. My family's been all out through the mountains, all over in the different states, and the beauty is un unbelievable. And I would take pictures and bring them back, and I'd show them to somebody, and it no more could, it could no more speak of the beauty than a man on the moon. There's just something different, and seeing a picture of it and then seeing it in, in its real existence. And so many people see a picture of the beauty of God by seeing people down here being blessed. But what you see and the way they see it is totally different because it's not just a picture. It's not just something seen from afar off, but it's God coming down and making a holy reality of their life of who God is. I'm not telling you to look for any kind of a thrill or any kind of an emotion. I'm not telling you to act a certain way. I'm not trying to push anything. But I am saying whenever you come in contact with the presence of God, there will be visible, open manifestations. to the. There will be a reaction from you somehow. The people will know that's different. Come on. I'm hungry. There are churches all over America that are using their baptistries for storage spaces because no one gets saved. There are churches, I was talking to a guy the other day, and he was watching our services, and he said, man, you had a great altar call. And I said, what do you mean? He said, man, there's people all around your altar. I said, well, that's, we do that every city. We, we go to the, 
You mean they go to the altar there? At his church, no one ever come around an altar to pray unless they were being saved. You get saved, and that's the end of it. I, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's all there is to this thing. There's more to it than just being saved. It's come to intimately know him. Lord, if you're a Hannah here today and you're barren, spiritually you're just knowing there's more, you want more, you desire more. Will you join my quest with me? Will you go on an expedition with me? What we want is an instantaneous result. And God is a God that he, like, he, he honors sacrifice. He tests you. He wants to see how much you really love him. Them men that sought God at, from 1886 to 1996, they sought for 10 years without giving up. And the Bible literally tells us, you know what it says? Be not weary in well-doing. You will reap if you faint not. There's got to be an endurance. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is endurance. It's long-suffering. It's being patient. Waiting on the presence of God. God, I want more. He takes you from one. Every time you come to the altar, whether you realize it or not, God's doing a little bit of tweaking in you. He'll tweak this this week. He'll tweak that next week. He'll tweak, and you're building and you don't even realize it. And he'll get you to the place after all of those sessions that he'll finally be able to give you the big pop. Have you ever been to a chiropractor? He, can't, he does it in sessions. He can't move it all at once. Amen? If he did, he'd break your bone. You couldn't handle it. There's things we can't handle. And God has to tweak us little by little, bit by bit. And he forms us and he touches us and he transforms us and, and he puts us together and we're like potter on a wheel of a, a vessel on the potter's vessel and he forms us and he makes us and he shapes us and it's a process. Are you going to enter the process with me today? Kent Miller has been on that wheel for years and I've not a finished product yet. The Apostle Paul even said, you know, I've not reached perfection yet, but I strive for it. I press for it. I press toward that mark of high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've not arrived, but I desire it with all my heart. If Paul hadn't have made it, what makes us think we haven't made it? And let me just throw out something to you. Is it possible that in America we have a lot of churches that's Hannah's? They're not sinning. They're godly people. But they're barren. We're not seeing anything from the presence of God. No revival. Nobody being saved. Nobody being healed. No miracles taking place. And yet that's not the will of God. I want more. I won't be happy till this thing's exploded. And signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost are being poured out and people are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you this morning, would you come, spend a little time, get on this expedition with me? I'm going to be seeking him. Will you seek him? Will you say, I, I want his presence? We're, we're in a quest for presence. We're in a desire. i got to have more. Ask him, God, give me the kisses of your mouth. Give me the kisses of your mouth. Oh, that's better than all of the roses and the perfume and the, and the gifts and the trinkets and all of that stuff. The, oh, God, I want intimacy with you. Would you come? Gather in close.
Oh, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. If we'll keep this up, God will reward us. But we got a warning. We got a warning. <laughs>